Se fue el boss. Una cantidad de razón. In a small town in Pennsylvania in the year 1897, one of the poorest families in the community, a farm van without very many resources, had a little boy born to them. They gave him the name of Aidan Wilson, named after relatives. He was raised in strict and abject poverty. As he became a middle teenager, he made his way into Ohio, found himself ultimately in the town of Akron, Ohio. There he found a job doing that which all of us would be familiar with. He worked in the tire factory, rubber factory, making tires. But 17 years of age, he made his way back and forth every day, walking to go to the factory. And one evening when coming home, he listened on the side of the road, on the side of the street, and there was one of those infamous street preachers. There he heard him preach and say a few words and He didn't understand a lot of what he said, but he did hear him say this, if you don't know how to talk to God, don't worry about it. He knows how to talk to you. And when you find opportunity, you just go to him and he'll listen. He made his way back to his apartment that night and went into the attic room upstairs, according to what he said later. There he knelt before God and he gave his life to Jesus Christ and he was radically changed. No formal education though, but he began to study and read the Bible and so impacted people that five years later they called him to be the pastor of a church. That began 44 years of fruitful ministry. One of the most prolific authors of the 20th century, one of the most effective pastors, the kind of pastor that people would come from sometimes later in his life hundreds of miles just to hear what he had to say on Sunday morning. He wrote books. He was not only an author, he became an editor. His opinion literally was respected and revered all over the world. Finally, he pastored a church in Toronto, Canada. There, one Sunday, he died of a heart attack. Respected, loved. His final sermon was transcribed immediately and three days later published in its entirety in the church denominational communication. His name was A.W. Tozer. If you've not heard of him, many have. So influential, so powerful. I was talking to a friend of the family many years ago. He said his wife was talking to him one day about A.W. Tozer. Nobody hardly knew him as Aiden. Pastor Tozer is who they knew him as. Loved and respected him so much. His wife said there would be Sundays that her husband would go into the pulpit and preach one of his messages, so profound as he would be. And he would be so discouraged. That not too unlike, I wouldn't think, this church. He he had a door over on the left-hand side of the pulpit, as I was told the story. And as soon as he finished preaching... He would go over to his left, slip out of that door, go downstairs to his office, shut the door and lock it and did not come out until he knew everybody had left the church because he couldn't stand to see anybody. His wife said many times he would come home from church that afternoon, go into their bedroom and she'd bring him up something to eat. And for the most part, that's where he would remain some weeks until Tuesday or Wednesday morning. Then he'd get ready for Wednesday night service. He suffered from deep discouragement. 
Have you ever been there? There's not a one in this room today listening to my voice, but that you have not been discouraged. There are some few of you that are here this morning who have been in a deep depression. There might be one or more here this morning that there's been that time in your life with, with the help of a physician. You were diagnosed with chronic depression and given medication and it helped you. And I applaud you in that. But I want to speak to you this morning from a biblical perspective on how do you deal with discouragement. Because everybody has it. A.W. Tozer was never completely victorious over it. And reading after others, I discovered the same. Many of the great religious leaders of the last three and four hundred years suffered from deep discouragement. And truth of the matter is, when you do what I do and Pastor Evan does for Sunday in, Sunday out, there are things to get discouraged over. Now some of those things on the opposite side can be encouragement when they go well. This morning our dear pastor is not here because he is at our sister church. Last two weeks we're trying to raise up enough volunteers to do children's ministries and some other things over there. And that's one of the discouraging things for a pastor as it is for any leader in the church. How do you get people to volunteer? For example, how are we going to get you to volunteer to help us with our outreach program that we want to do for the Fall Fun Fest? Most of you have never considered it, but you ought to consider it this morning. Because if you don't, Evan's going to be discouraged, then he's going to be depressed, and he won't come out of his office till Tuesday morning. So please, <laughs> sign up and become a part of that. Discouragement. Paul experienced discouragement. Sometimes he got so discouraged that he lashed out at people. <laughs> Even funnily, after he lashed out at them, he sometimes wrote them a letter to apologize that he lashed out at them. And then he would tell them why he lashed out at them. And then he'd say, I'm not really sorry that I lashed out at them. And then he would kind of say to them, and you deserved it all along in the first place. But he got discouraged. I could tell you this morning about some other people that got discouraged. I can even tell you about one or two that are here that get discouraged. But I won't do any of that this morning because I invite you to turn with me in the book. We're going to go to the Gospel according to St. Matthew. It's one of three synoptic Gospels. The one that most people believe was written most acutely to Jewish people rather than to Gentiles or Romans. And of course it recounts much of the story as it was recounted by none other than St. Mark or Mark the follower of Christ. But if you have your Bibles and you'll turn with me this morning, I'm going to refer to one who I think was discouraged. And you probably haven't considered it, but I'm absolutely convinced even Jesus was discouraged. And you and I can't relate to that. How can, how, how can you be God and be discouraged? I don't pretend to fathom the depth of deity's mind but let me pose to you this question. Do you think God was discouraged the day that he looked down and watched as Adam and Eve listened to the devil himself? Do you think that would have discouraged him? Do you think he would have been discouraged at the brotherly spat between Cain and Abel and then the lying that took place afterwards? Do you think God was encouraged the day that he looked at Adam and Eve and said, you no longer will be allowed in this garden. And the plan that I had made for you and that I had told you about, how you were going to spend all of your days in this garden, is now abandoned 
and you will suffer in work and toil for the duration of what we will now call a life, for you will now experience death. Prior to that, you did not have experienced death, but because of your disobedience and your rebellion and what we now call sin, God said, you will not be allowed to live forever, but you shall die. Seriously. Don't you think that would have discouraged God? I purport to you this morning that your tendency and mine to be discouraged is a divine trait. For God said you and I were created in His image. Not the reverse, mind you. He was not created in ours and let us not yield to the temptation upon occasion to recreate a God like we want rather than seeing the God that's revealed in the book. Do you think it's not likely that night with Jesus Christ when they came and he knew they were coming and he knew it to the extent that even before earlier that evening as they met in what we call now the Last Supper or the Passover meal as they were celebrated and he looked that night and he turned to, to the disciples and he said to them, one of you will betray me. And they said, oh, no, 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 you got it wrong. It surely is not one of us. He said, oh, yes, it is. Which one of it is us among us is it? They said, and he said, it's the one who dips with me now. And do you know, he looked at Judas and he said, in essence, he said, what you've already done in your mind, carry out with your actions. You think that would have discouraged him? There's probably not many of us here this morning that we have not upon one occasion or another been what we perceived as being betrayed by someone. But you know the depth of the hurt of that betrayal is always in direct proportion to how much we love them or they, we sense that they loved us. Or how close we were to them or how close they were to us. This was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was the treasure. We preachers have to stick close to the treasure. We depend on them for a lot. Brother Ron couldn't be here this morning. But how hard it must have been for Jesus to find that his treasure. He knew it all along. I, I don't know how much Jesus chose to know, how much he, he wanted to know, but I do know he had the ability to know everything. And he could have known that Judas had been stealing all along. Every day, everywhere they went, he knew he was hanging around a thief if he had chosen to know it. He knew that night that Judas was going to betray him. You think that discouraged him? Well, he watched as he came. And of course, exactly what he said, we are not absolutely positive of everything, but we know some of what he said. And basically what he communicated was to help them to understand his depth of hurt. And he simply said, would you turn your back on me with a kiss? With a kiss? I mean, if you walked up to him and smacked him, or if you walked up to him and gave him a dirty look, or if they stood at a distance and said, that's the rotten rascal you're looking for. But no, Judas had the backbone of a jellyfish. He walks over to him, kisses him. And with that, the Savior was betrayed into his enemy's hands. You think that discouraged him? That night before that ever happened, I remind you of the scenario that took place in what we now refer to as the Garden of Gethsemane. 
That little garden is still there in Jerusalem today. You have the opportunity, they'll take you there, and they believe and they tell you, I don't buy all of this, but there's a tree right there, a huge tree uh, that they say, I think it's an olive tree, and they said that the roots of that tree have been there for over 3,000 years, and therefore it would have been there that night. Might it have been the tree that Jesus knelt by? I don't know. But that night, Jesus, the scripture says that he came there and his heart was burdened. I think that's another way of saying he was really discouraged really discouraged. And he, he looked at his boys and he said, would, would you fellows, we use the old King James, I apologize for my antiquity, but he said, would you tarry with me? In other words, would you just pray with me? Pray for me. Now, now don't do it right here, boys. You stay over there because I got to talk to Daddy God over here, but would you pray with me? And he went and prayed was he discouraged? I remind you of his words. You know them. You know them. He knew full well what he was facing. Not only do we know what we've had to do, we don't know sometimes what we're facing. And if some of us this morning knew what we faced tomorrow, the next day, the next week, we'd be jumping up and down with joy. And others of us would be incapable, incapable of even remaining in our seat. We'd run out of here in distraughtness. We don't know what tomorrow brings. But he knew. And the Bible says that he knelt there before the Father. He said, Father God, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but I know this is what he said. I know what I'm facing, and I don't want to do this. And if it's any way, would you please change my future? The phraseologist, let this cup pass from me. Don't make me do what I know I have to do. Is there any other way we can work this out? I, I know the divine plan. I know redemption story. I know that I'm here to pay the price, but I don't want to. You think he was discouraged? You think he wanted to give up and quit? I, I was raised in a generation where we sang that, that song. Some of you may have known it or you, you, you may have heard it simply said he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. But he died alone for you and me. He could have, but he didn't. And had he done it, he wouldn't have had to go through what he went through. But the story goes on that right after he prayed that, he went to his buds, his friends, his fellows, Fellows that we know now he had walked with for some three to four years. They had been there with him through the difficult days. They'd been there with him through the struggles. They'd been there with him and watched him heal the sick, raise the dead, walk on water, you name it. They were there when his brothers and sisters came to him and his mother was there and they kind of intimated, you know, he's a little bit deranged. Watch out for him. He protect him. He's our brother. Jesus said to them, who, who, who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you're talking about? The one who does the will of my father. That's really my brother and sister. He, they had been there. They had seen all of that. He comes over to them. I remind you, what were they doing? Praying for their leader? Agonizing? No. They were taking a nap. Taking a nap. He had begged them almost, please, would you just tarry with me a little while? I got to go over here and talk to Daddy God. They didn't necessarily know what he said, but maybe they did hear what he said. Because if somebody didn't tell somebody what he said, we wouldn't have it in the book. But we have it in the book. 
When he said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. And instead of being over there agonizing with him and praying, he came over to them and they were asleep. You think that discouraged him? You think that broke his heart? You know the story full well. I won't go through it and recount all of the passion experience, but I do remind you a bit of the life of Christ. He went through the agony of that whole day. He heard. He listened. His closest friend. You got a close friend today? Another lady you talk to that she's your sister, maybe in Christ. You wouldn't hesitate to tell her anything, hardly. And you have. Good buddy you've been with since you were in elementary school or, or before that. And you know, just almost inseparable. You'd go to the mat for him. You'd die for him almost. Here Jesus being ridiculed by the Pharisees, lambasted by the chief Sanhedrin leader, and he hears somehow or another through the distance, I don't know him. He looks over. You know who he saw. Peter. I don't know him. Jesus in his heart, he knew. He's talking about me. He's telling that person he doesn't even know me. Just a brief while later, we don't know exactly the amount of time, again he heard the voice, maybe likened unto some of you, particularly you ladies, if you have children. I always was impacted. I could be in the sanctuary, the nursery could be in the basement, could be 250 foot away, and some woman would say, that's my baby crying. And you're thinking, I don't hear nobody crying. She not only hears somebody crying, she knows it's her baby. Jesus heard the voice. I think she, he recognizes Peter's voice. He says, you're wrong. I don't know him. And it wasn't long after that. According to the text, when you, you read and you get behind it, I won't use all of it, but after a little while, he kind of heard again, and I believe Peter said it louder, because this time he was confronted by a little girl. And the scripture says that he basically said, damn it, I said I don't know him. Leave me alone. Cursed. How do you think Jesus felt? I think it's very likely that in the midst of that terrible moment, he probably thought to myself, I could put up with the whipping. I could put up with the, the crown of thorns. I can be beaten through the streets. I can be made of fun by everybody. But there's my best buddy who says he doesn't even know me. Was he discouraged? But there he was on the cross. Most people had abandoned him. Some had gathered around for curiosity. But his mother was down there crying. And he had been hurt and he had been beaten and he was near death. And the scripture says in his discouragement, I think, he looked down and says, lady, woman. He did not use, according to the text, the endearing term of mother. He referred to her as a lady because he possibly recognized in that dire moment in his life that his relationship with her in a certain sense of the word was about to cease. He looked at her and he said, lady... Behold your son. Turned to his disciple and said, Behold your mother. In that last dire moment, he looked out for his mother, provided for her, 
in a wonderful way. And then we have these words. One of the texts records it in Aramaic. One of the texts records it in Hebrew. But the phraseology is Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Or Eloha, Eloha, lama sithini. And in that we have in most translations the English literacy of literalness of it. And he cried out, have you ever thought about this? Please, give me a moment. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did you realize Jesus felt forsaken? There's a bit of, of literal, liberal uh, ability given that we might translate that to mean something more to the effect, my God, my God, why have you turned your face from me? But however you phrase it, I think he was discouraged. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And then he looked up into heaven and he said, I did my job. The phrase that you have in your Bible is, it is finished. I think we all have somewhat of a grasp of the tremendous power that's in that meaning, in the meaning of that phrase, it is finished. We know what he had done. We know how it has been appropriately applied to our lives. But I want to step back now and ask you, how do you deal with discouragement? Jesus dealt with discouragement. I know and you know he was God. He could have done anything, but he was also, if there's one thing remember about today's message, remember this, Jesus Christ was 100% man and 100% God. He bled, he breathed, he hurt, he suffered, he had emotions. And discouragement is an emotion. Depression is an emotion. Jesus, unquestionably, as far as I can discern, experienced discouragement. He came to the point that he, he really went to the Father God and said, can we come up with an alternate plan? Lest you think I'm a heretic this morning. What do you think he was asking for when he said, if it be your will? In other words, I got a different idea would you, would you be willing to try something different rather than me going to the cross and going through the helliousness I'm going to have to go through the next 24 hours? I think he was at the point he was about ready to say, I, I don't want to do this. I'm ready. To, I'm going to change it. Yeah, I know you, what you sent me for. I know why I've been here. I've done my job, but it's this final phase. I, I, I think we can come up with plan B, maybe. I don't think there's too many of us this morning here that we haven't upon occasion in our humanity said, God, I think I know what you want to do, but I, I think I have a better idea. Or oh, Lord God, I have another idea. Can you be somewhat malleable? Can you kind of support my idea and let's do it my way? Because I prefer it this way. And don't feel like you're alone. You don't need to apologize for God, to God for humanity. You're in great company. You're in the company of Peter. 
You're in the company of Jesus. You're in the company of A.W. Tozer. You're in the company of Billy Graham. You're in the company of almost every great religious leader you've ever known. I say almost for the purpose of not being contradicted. I think everyone goes through discouragement. What did Jesus do? He did something that we should do. He turned to his friends. I know full well that when you get discouraged, there's a part of us that wants to withdraw from everybody. Leave me alone. Get out of my face. Shut your face. Whatever you got to do, just don't you rattle my cage because I'll bop you on the side of your ever-loving head. I am discouraged. I've earned it. I want to enjoy it. Leave me alone. Jesus didn't do that. He not only went to the garden, he took his friends with him. And then he went to them and said, would you, would you tarry with me? Unfortunately, sometimes the people whom we depend on will let us down. That's a fact. It's also a fact that you don't have to be one of those kinds of friends. Can I get an amen anywhere in the church? Amen. You don't have to be one of those. You say, oh, I know, but people, that's the way people treat me. Well, tough tootsie, let them get over it. Don't you be that kind of person. I don't know what I would have done. I can only guess what you would have done. Had I been there in the garden with Jesus that night, I'd have probably been hangtailing it down going on towards Bethany. I'm not sticking around for this. This ain't looking good. Just don't look good at all. I know, I think some of us, probably me, a couple of you too, probably could have counted on a couple of you to help. Brian would have probably helped me out there. You'd have, I'd have gone and got Judas. I'd have kicked his ever-loving butt. You jerk. Who do you think you are? You betray my master? I'd have taken my sword. It wouldn't have been no ear got cut off. That's just my personality. I don't know what you would have done. But I don't know that I could have fallen asleep. But they did. Don't fall asleep on your friends. Don't leave them when they get discouraged. Don't be afraid of their discouragement rubbing off on you. That won't happen. It's it's not like a disease. We all get discouraged. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. And recognize this this morning, that when that hard time comes, when that discouragement comes, you need your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's one of the many, 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 many reasons that the Scripture says, don't be like the world and stop assembling together as believers. Don't stop coming to church. Don't skip Bible study. Don't stop talking to your friends. Do the opposite. You say, well, I, I do what I feel like doing. I know, and that's what gets us into problems most of the time. Don't you think that's what got Adam and Eve into problems? They did what they felt like doing? Judas did what he felt like doing. There have been those, and I don't know who's right or wrong, that say, well, he, he had good intentions. He was trying to force the hand of Jesus to declare himself to be the military leader that he believed that he was. Yeah, he followed his feelings, but he was wrong. Everybody here has done that. Secondly, pose this question to yourself. Have you contributed to how you got into the situation you're in that's discouraging? Is it your fault? Did you do something? Now be honest with yourself and don't deceive yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Don't go have a pity party. One thing I can guarantee you about pity party. They're no fun. Nobody comes. And if anybody did, they wouldn't bring any gifts. So don't have a pity party. That's not worthwhile. Don't say, oh yeah, I'm sure it's my... No, no. If it's not your fault, be honest with yourself. It's not your fault. 
If it's something that is a result of circumstances beyond your control, your child did something stupid, your spouse did something stupid, your employer did something stupid, fine. But if you did something stupid, ask yourself another question. Okay, I did something dumb. Can you fix it? If something you have done has contributed to your being discouraged and maybe even depressed, can you fix it? And if you can, don't be stupid. I'm sorry for using that word, but I think it's stupid to know you can fix something and not fix it. Fix it. Don't lament about it. Don't cry about it. Don't don't tell your wife, spouse, and everybody else you can about it. Just try to fix it. And if you can't fix it, I remind you that that's one of the reasons Jesus Christ did what he did. He died on the cross for sins. Just let him take care of it. Put it on the altar and say, I'm leaving it there. Do what you can do. Don't do what you can't do. And then ask this very, very important, so important a question that Jesus asked it. He said, Father, what's your idea? What's your plan? When you get to the point of discouragement and you get to the point of depression, seriously, as a Christian, if you're not a Christian this morning, I'm sorry, this won't help you. You need Jesus. You need to get saved. You need to really fall in love with Christ. You need to become an absolute fanatic. You need to really get religion down tight. You don't need to play church. You need to find God. For those of us that are here this morning that know God, when we get discouraged, we can say to God in honesty, Lord God, what's your plan? And you know he has one for you. Lord, I'm discouraged. Lord, my child's not doing right. My job's not doing right. This has happened. That's happened. I, I've done everything I can do to fix it. I can't correct it. Well, Lord, what do you want? I think that's what Jesus said. He said, Father God, is it possible we could do it differently? Do you have a better plan? Can I, can I suggest to you something? I have no doubt but that Jesus could have offered a couple of other alternatives. And then he heard from God. Do you doubt that he heard from God? Because he went forward to the cross. He, he said to the Father, if, if you would, let's change the plan. And, and just as audibly as you hear my voice this morning, I believe God spoke to his son and said, nope, this is the plan carried out sometimes ladies and gentlemen my brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes at noon the sun is hidden by the clouds it happened on that Friday darkness fell over the town the Bible says so bad was the time and experience that the veil in the temple of the holy of holies that the Jews had revered was split in two This was after he cried out and said, Father God, let this pass from me. And Daddy God said, no, I'm not going to do that. You have to do it. And the next morning, he says, why have you forsaken me? Daddy God hadn't forsaken him, but sometimes you have to go through the valley. Don't be discouraged. You say, well, that's easy for you to say. I I could list for you this morning things that I have had that have been discouraging in my life. Don't worry about it. God's got a plan. And all I have to figure out and all you have to figure out is am I in God's will? If I'm in God's will, let it rain, snow, hail, or blow. Let the clouds hide the sun. Let the thieves on each side make fun of me or just one of them call out and ask for mercy. Let my best friend betray me. Let my good buddy deny me. Let my mother watch in agony, wishing she could die rather than see what she's seeing. 
As long as I'm doing your will, that's all that matters. So when you get in the midst of discouragement, pose this question and do not stop posing it until you get a firm answer. Lord God, what is your will for me? And listen carefully, because he will answer. That's what A.W. Tozer heard from that street preacher. If you don't know how to talk to God, God knows how to talk to you. You call on him and he'll answer. He went into that upper room, he called, God answered. And A.W. Tozer's life was never the same. Something about knowing you're in the will of God. And if you are in the midst of a discouragement today, and you have discouraging things happen to you today, listen to the old preacher. I'm telling you, get with your friends. Don't forsake church people. Fix whatever you can fix that's caused the discouragement. Whatever it is, let God speak to you. What you cannot fix, put under the blood. Let the blood of Jesus Christ take care of it. You cannot fix what you cannot fix. You can worry about it. You can fret about it. You can sleep about it. You can do a hundred things, but you can't fix what you can't fix. And if there's one thing you know, don't you? What you can't fix, God can. God can. That centurion came to him and said, Master, my daughter's sick and they tell me she's going to die. But I believe in you and you don't have to come. I know you're a busy man. I know you've got all kinds of things calling at your time. I've even heard you had that woman that grabbed a hold of the hem of your garment and she was healed. Would you just speak the word and I believe my child will be healed. Sure enough, the child was. I believe this morning that our God will speak to us if we'll listen. We had a wonderful lesson by Pastor Evan Wins tonight. We talked some about prayer. But I want to remind you this morning, this thing, we all know it, but I want to remind when you pray, it's supposed to be conversation. It's not supposed to be, let me list my desires. Lord God, I, I got a list of things. Well, let me get my paper out, Lord. Yeah, here it is, here. This is what I want. But it's supposed to be that you speak to God. And if you're really praying and, and, you, and you want to really be a, a mature Christian, and I, maybe that word's overused, but you really are serious about your faith. After you talk to God, telling Him something, would you all confess to the fact that if you told God something, it wouldn't be something He didn't know? Do you really pray and, say, listen, and listen for God to say, oh, I'm so surprised to hear that. I never heard that before. <laughs> Get real. No, we're not going to. But if you stop after you've said a few things and say, Lord God, I'm here to listen. Have you thought about it? Think about it just for a second. You know God might say something to you that he's never said to anyone before. I believe God still speaks to people. Is there anybody else here like that? I believe God still speaks. And he'll speak to you. He spoke to Martin Luther. He started the Reformation. I'm about finished. Everybody say amen. Somebody else wanted to say hurry up. So go ahead. I'm about finished. But I want to remind you of the life of Martin Luther. We hear a lot about Martin Luther, somewhat of it. Most of it's not completely true. He was a Catholic priest. Abandoned by his daddy because he wouldn't become a lawyer. And went to seminary, became a monk. Got in school and got become a priest, became a monk, was among the leaders. And he immediately began to be disenchanted with the things he was experiencing. 
Then they came through, among other things, and started this indulgence movement, whereby you pay a certain amount of money and you be forgiven. He, he was in charge of several churches, several monasteries. He was a teacher. He, he had all kinds of power. So he decided he would challenge the church. I won't go into a lot of detail, but almost immediately, every friend he had abandoned him. His closest friend made a recommendation to the Pope that Martin Luther be declared an immediate heretic and arrested upon a first occasion, carried to Rome, and burned at the stake. You think it's a fairly decent chance Martin Luther got a little bit discouraged? He got discouraged when his daddy wrote him off when he told him he'd become a Christian and he was going to be a priest. You think he got discouraged that for the rest of his life, literally, he hid from the law. Nobody ever knew while he was alive the effect that he would have. But honestly this morning, you're sitting here because of what he did. Because he said no amount of money can pay the price for my sins. My Savior already has. And when the Pope, the 10th, Leo the 10th, considered his case, Martin Luther said it's a clear, clear choice. Either the church says Leo's word is final, or the church says the word of God is final. And the defenders of the Pope wrote and put in pamphlet form and circulated between, into all Christendom letters to the effect, the Pope's word is final and the Bible becomes subject to the Pope. And Martin Luther said, I will die at the stake before I will ever agree that anything is superior to the word of God. You think he was discouraged? What do you think kept him going? Same thing kept Jesus going. He believed he was doing the will of God. He said, I've been to the Father, I've prayed over it, and I believe the Bible is the unerrant word of God, and I believe he died on the cross for my sins, and I don't believe I need to have anybody else to pay a price for me, and I'll have to die for that, so be it, but I will not change. He knew he was in the will of God. Do you know that this morning? If you're discouraged about anything, something so profound as your relationship with your family, you're looking for a job, your love life, or whatever it might be, have you asked yourself, are you in the will of God? Some people would just say, well, nobody can know. You're wrong. You're wrong. If you're a Christian, you have to know. You've got to figure that out. Because there's no cure for discouragement if you're not in God's will. And there's no discouragement that can defeat you if you are in God's will. Therefore, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I am alive, but not me, but Jesus Christ through me. That's the word of a committed Christian. So don't be bothered by the fact that you get discouraged. You're human. Don't think you're unique, you're normal. Don't think you're not like God. You're just like Jesus in that sense. You get discouraged. Just do what he did. Stick with your friends. Stick with the church. Go to the Father. Hear from God. Know you're in God's will. And then don't worry. I'm telling you. 
Discouragement will kill you. Some of us are natural worriers. I am. When I'm not worried, I worry about what I don't know. I think I must be missing something. Why don't I have something to worry about? I'm ready to close this service this morning. And I've asked Brother Don, Dan, where's Dan at? Where's Fuzzy Face? I know he's here somewhere. There he is. I don't know what they're going to play or sing. I'm leaving it entirely up to them. And I know most of you think, well, I don't need to come to that altar this morning. And that may be. But if you are a person that's been discouraged or you're in discouragement, I'm going to ask you this morning to take a moment and come at this altar and ask God to help you to know, what is your will for me? And if God tells you something that you've done to contribute to your situation, then you tell him, I'll fix it if you can. And if God tells you something that you've done to contribute to your situation, you can't fix it. It might be, I'm divorced and my former spouse is remarried. I want to give you a clue. You can't fix that. Don't try. I've seen people try. That's a big problem. But you can say, Lord God, I messed up. I take responsibility for it. Would you forgive me? And I am absolutely positive he'll say, I will. You're forgiven. And then say, Lord God, what do you want me to do now? And then listen. Listen. And when he says, you speak, he speaks, you listen, then say, I'll do it. I'll do it. Would you stand with me, please, across the church? Everyone standing. If you need a trip to the altar to deal with your discouragement this morning, I invite you to make your way down an aisle and come on down here and get right with the Holy God. Know that He loves you this morning and He's not bothered when you say, Lord God, why have you forsaken me? Would you come this morning as we have an altar call? on down folks if you need to do business with the Lord you're welcome we'd love to have you Anyone else would like to come this morning? Would you come very quickly? You need to talk to the Lord about discouragement in your life. One little word of encouragement. Don't listen to the devil. And sometimes he wears clothes. And sometimes he's an apparent friend or family member. And they'll tell you, you ought to feel guilty. I've never understood the rationale 
where it's to your benefit to add to discouragement guilt, like you're going to feel better. Don't feel guilty. If you're discouraged, you're human. You may need, and I say this experientially as well as reluctantly, you may need to get some help from a doctor if you have deep discouragement and or depression. But if you'll follow the formula that we've had from the Word of God this morning in the example of Jesus, I believe He can help you. I believe He can help you. Do you believe that? Would you say an amen? Amen. I know I'm late, but you can't fire me. I don't work here. So anyway, <laughs> tell Evan. He'll be here probably shortly. You can tell him that I'm, I'm late. So sit down for 30 seconds. I've got a couple things I want to tell you. We've got donuts back there for you so you won't starve to death. Two things. Number one, I, I have up here, right in front of Daniela. Would you pick that for me, honey? Just stand up and hold up. I'm not going to get you to do anything. That's a sign-up sheet for people we need to help with the Fall Fun Festival. And, no, and nobody's signing up. So I don't want Evan to come back and say, I got everybody signed up over at Lifeline. I can't get nobody signed up here at Lifehouse. So some of you, we need people to help us that day, do games, do everything. You're going to have a tractor here, haven't you, aren't you, Jeff? Are you going to have a wagon pull? I hope that tractor's big enough to carry me. I'm going to look forward to that. But anyway, if you'd be kind enough to come up front this morning and sign this, it would be great. I don't know how we're going to get people. If not, we can't run it. We can't run it on just our looks. So I hope that you'll sign up and you'll, you'll be a part of that. I'd appreciate it. Now, probably all of you are aware here this morning. If not, you need to. Our pastor's not here. But our pastor's also looking to make a transition in the next several months or year or however long it takes to be the pastor of Lifeline only, not because he doesn't love us here, but he needs to spend his time at one church. And we applaud that. And as a board, we want to support him. And we're, we're looking for a new pastor. And uh, we're trusting the Lord to help us. And I think it would be in order this morning that we let you know that we have a candidate here this morning that we'd like for you to know. So... Joe, if you and Rachel would stand right up there in the back, I don't want to embarrass them, but they are a couple that we've been talking to possibly about they might be someone here with us. And I don't want you walking around looking at that person saying, who is that ugly fellow, that good looking woman over there? But anyway, uh, that's uh, Pastor Decker. His name is Joseph. His wife is Rachel. And I think you said R-A-Y-C-H-E-L. Is that what it is? not the normal spelling that I'm accustomed to, make them please feel welcome here at Lifehouse this morning before you go home and enjoy your donuts and your fellowship. God bless you and thank you for your kindness in listening this morning. We appreciate it.